Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of 219 Green Connect, where we explore topics about the environment and green living in Northwest Indiana. For past show archives, news, and upcoming events, you can check out our website at 219greenconnect.com or join us on Facebook or, or Twitter. Our ID on both Facebook and Twitter is 219 Green Connect. You can also subscribe to this podcast via iTunes. I'm your host, Kathy Sippel, and with me today I have David Holmquist. He is an experienced climate citizens lobby. Did I get that right? <laughs> For the Great Lakes region. I'm not sure why I'm messing that up. He is going to be teaching effective approaches to building political will and lobbying Congress at an upcoming training opportunity. So I am very excited to have David here to tell us about an upcoming opportunity that will be here in Valparaiso before too long. So welcome, David. David, hi. Can you tell us a little bit about the upcoming training that will be happening in Valparaiso? O'clock at oh, the Valparaiso David. Public I'm, yeah. I'm so sorry, David. I'm not sure what happened there, but it looks like you might have dropped off. Could you could you just start that last part again? I think you were muted or something. Uh, let me make sure. Okay. Uh, I apologize. You're fine now. Um, yes. Okay. Good. Uh, yes. The uh, the the event is what we call a climate advocate training workshop. Um, it will be held on Sunday, November fourth, at the Valparaiso Public Library, beginning at one o'clock. And it'll last about three hours. We have a lot of ground to cover. Um, Citizens Climate Lobby does um, national lobbying, lobbying at the national level in Congress around a solution to the climate crisis, uh, one that we think is a match for the problem um, in, in the way of national legislation. So um, the, the training is actually um, quite a bit about citizens' climate lobby, our history, the methods that we use, which um, have we've been honing over the past nine or ten years, um, working on a particular um, uh, proposal for national legislation, and um, opportunities for people to get involved. That is great. And so do you have any suggestions or maybe reflections upon who has shown up in the past? Is there any typical kind of attendee? Well, this is really for people who um, have an, an understanding of the um, situation with uh, climate change. You know, that they understand the threat that it poses. It's not really about climate science, and it's not, certainly not a debate um, about whether or not climate science, climate change is real or whether it's caused by humans. Um, it's for people who, who um, understand those issues and are looking for um, opportunities to take action and be involved as advocates in a place where it really counts. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that opportunity and also for coming to our area. It's my hope that people in the listening audience will show up I am going to be there. Yours truly will be occupying one of those seats, <laughs> and I, I hope Great. hope to learn. Yeah. So, can you tell people a little bit about you know how the day is structured or what they might learn? 
Uh, as I say, it'll be uh, probably it, it'll be structured as partly presentation, partly um, practice exercises, and um, partly discussion. Lots of question and answer. Um, being talked to death is a terrible way to go, so we really try to make it as interactive as possible. Um, and and as I said, it usually lasts about three hours. Uh, the, the history of Citizens Climate Lobby is kind of important because it's based upon uh, a successful lobbying uh, methodology that's been used in other areas, particularly global poverty and um, child nutrition, and uh, where it's been effective in causing Congress to appropriate money and for those appropriations to be sticky. That is, they tend to survive um, uh, uh, budget cuts um, year on year. And uh, so we've taken a proven methodology and we're trying to apply it to uh, a, a, an admittedly more difficult problem um, with climate change. Uh, as we like to say, there's no one's willing to spend um, hundreds of millions of dollars to make sure that people starve to death. But there are people who are willing to spend hundreds of million dollars to make sure that the status quo survives around the use of fossil fuels. And what we're aiming to do is to uh, put a tax on the production of fossil fuels to make them more expensive relative to um, alternative fuels, clean fuels, um, so that eventually we can um, uh, give an economic incentive for people to give up fossil fuels and make the transition to renewable energy. Um, the, the proposal that we, um, that we have, which we're in the process of turning into a bill to be introduced in Congress, is called Carbon Fee and Dividend, and um, it's, it's a unique type of legislation, a unique type of tax or fee, where the money is collected from the producers of fossil fuels and is then returned to American households, uh, because our stated purpose here is to drive up the cost of fossil fuels and anything that's made with them. Um, we believe that in order to develop the popular support for this kind of policy, uh, to keep it from being repealed before it's done its work, which could be a very long time, it needs to have good popular support. And if people are suffering financially as a result of it, then it won't have that support. So, um, so back to your question, I apologize, but back to your question is we described the history and methodology of Citizens Climate Lobby. We spend some time talking about the proposal, carbon fee and dividend, and its history, which is quite interesting. And then we describe in some detail exactly how we are organized and the activities that we get involved in in order to build the political will so that Congress will pass this legislation. Um, and that's, those are really the three parts of the presentation. That's how, it, how the day will be structured and what people can expect to learn.
Great. Well, thank you so much for that very thorough answer. And just in case, you know, it's the nature of podcasts that somebody might listen to this the next weekend or the next day after the training is complete. And I, I just love to give people a website where they can go and find information on, you know, hopefully this event, but also upcoming events. What would be the best way for people to learn that or to get on your email list? Our our main website is um, citizensclimatelobby.org. Um, and uh, the name of the organization is Citizens Climate Lobby. There are links on the landing page for the main website that will allow you to join Citizens Climate Lobby. And joining is just a matter of signing up as a volunteer and providing an email address. Um, we also ask so that we know where people are located and what chapter they might uh, of Citizens Climate Lobby they might be um, uh, be interested in joining. We like to know uh, where they live. That also tells us what congressional district they're in because we organize by congressional districts. Um, there are 435 congressional districts in the country. We have chapters now operating in 385 of them. So that's the quickest way to start to get information. You can sign up for um, various newsletters, and we don't have too many of them. We have a weekly bulletin, and then we have other opportunities um, to join um, in a more active way through a second website, which is called, which we call CCL Community. And uh, when you join CCL um, on the main website, that gives you, uh, you receive an email with um, information about how to um, join community where you can really get into more of the details and, um, uh, and, and find more opportunities for action and involvement and advocacy. But the, the gateway would be citizensclimatelobby.org. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And I, I do want to say also that I did add it to the 219 Green Connect Facebook page events tab. So if you happen to be listening in October or November 2018, you will find it there. And I will try my hardest to update that as new trainings may become available in the future. Uh, so we'd definitely like to support that. So I know that there have been some big headlines in the news lately about climate do you want to share some things that make this training especially relevant at this time? Sure, thank you. Uh, in the past two weeks, um, and specifically what, two weeks ago yesterday on October 8th, um, two things happened that are directly related to what we're doing. Uh, one was the a report from the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC. Um, which was a, a follow-up report that was that came that, that was actually uh, authorized by the um, United Nations Climate Convention in 2015 in Paris, which I imagine many of your listeners know about. Uh, sure. The report was an update on uh, the state of climate science, uh, and. In a nutshell, what it reported was that climate change is coming at us faster and with more drastic uh, consequences than we knew even a few years ago. Uh, it's, uh, it's a rather sobering report. 
But what the panel did really for the first time was to address the issue of what sort of policy might be helpful in kind of heading off the worst effects of, of climate change in the future. And the, the keystone to what they think is, is the policy answer to this is pricing, putting a price on carbon. Um, that is um, a fee on the production and use of fossil fuels, which is precisely what Citizens Climate Lobby has been working on for almost 10 years now. And this is, this is a long-term project, building the political will um, to do this. But we've, we feel as if our, our approach to this has, has been given some pretty serious validation um, by the IPCC in, in a rather unusual way. And uh, so, so that was the first thing. On that same day, the Nobel um, uh, Prize in Economics was awarded to two men, one of whom was, is a Yale economist by the name of William Nordhaus. And the Nobel Committee specifically said that the reason he was given the award was for his work having to do with developing a concept that we refer to as the social cost of carbon. Um, it's, it's a measure of using models of climate impacts and economic, um, uh, uh, economic costs and benefits, uh, determining how much damage uh, uh, the emission of a ton of carbon does to the economy. And depending upon the variables you plug into these models, that price can be, uh, it can be, well, it's generally the range is considered to be up from about $40 per ton of carbon dioxide to as high as, as six or $700 a ton. Um, the Obama administration adopted a figure of $40 a ton. Um, but as I say, the, the Nobel Prize was awarded for specifically that work. And the New York Times did an interesting um, uh, podcast. Uh, this was uh, late last week. It was on Friday, I believe. They have a podcast called The Daily. And they covered both of these events, um, did an interview with uh, Professor Nordhaus, and um, and, and kind of tied the two of them together. So, uh, as I say, we, we feel this is validation of the work we've been doing. And, uh, and I think it's, it's, we've already seen it generate new interest in our project. So um, that's one thing. The, the, uh, the other thing that's happened, in fact, this is just a development that just has come up in the last uh, two days, is, has to do with our neighbors to the north in Canada. Um, they have been talking for about for the past year about um, uh, putting a price on carbon through a carbon tax or some form of carbon uh, pricing that that would be done at the provincial level in Canada. Um, the provinces up there have the ability to come up with whatever carbon pricing program that meet certain requirements they like. That is, they would have options in how to do this. Uh, 
But the federal government has, as of yesterday, is now talking about doing the kind of thing that we're talking about, that is levying a fee and returning the money to households. Um, so again, that validates our approach. Uh, our, we do most of our work, uh, Citizens Climate Lobby's work is done here in the United States. We are primary, we are an international organization, but but our our program is is really aimed at the the structure of the United States government um, because that's where most of our work is done. We we have a uh, an active um, Canadian um, chapter, uh, a, a series of chapters up there, but uh, an active program in Canada that's been lobbying in Parliament for the same sort of policy, and they've been quite successful. So um, again, that's validation of this of this approach, and um, we're looking forward to continuing to draw interest to to our proposal. Great. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, I, I know years ago I had a friend who worked at an environmental nonprofit in Chicago. She was working quite a bit with cap and trade. So carbon tax and cap and trade, those are kind of two really different types of policies. Is that right? It seems like the carbon tax yes. returns something to the consumer, whereas cap and trade, it sort of puts a price on well, I'll let you answer the question rather than <laughs> I know just right. enough to be dangerous right now. Yeah, <laughs> I know the feeling. Uh, <laughs> the yeah, the, uh, cap and trade and uh, and and carbon taxes generally are two ways to put a price on carbon. They're the two most common ways that are considered um, within the the realm of carbon taxes. There are a whole variety of ways to design a carbon tax. The, and uh, and and I'll just quickly distinguish between the two main ones. One would be a straight carbon tax, um, where you tax fossil fuels, um, but you don't But the revenue then could be used for any number of things. It might be used to offset other taxes. It could be used to um, uh, subsidize alternative energy. It could be used to pay for education. There's a carbon tax proposal in in um, uh, Washington State right now that where the revenue would be used for all of those, all three of those things and other things. Um, that, not, that proposal doesn't return any money to the people because directly to the people because because um, there's a constitutional prohibition against that sort of a program in the state of Washington. Uh, so, but, but it is possible at the national level to return that all of the, the revenue from the tax to the people. But it, 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 a, a tax that, that doesn't somehow compensate households is, uh, a, a tax on carbon is always regressive. Um, it, that is, it hurts uh, particularly lower-income people, but also middle-income people disproportionately because they spend a higher um, percentage of their income on energy, primary energy, and energy-related products. Um, but in, in strict dollar terms, the amount of money is not that high. So 
when you return money to the people on an equal basis, that tends to protect particularly the bottom two thirds to three quarters of the income distribution. So I'm, I'm getting around to answering your actual question, but I wanted to- <laughs> I'm with you, I'm with you. To make the point that, that, that within the realm of carbon taxes, there are, there, are, there are better and worse ways from a number of standpoints to design them. And we feel that, that the, the, the carbon tax or fee that we've, that we've designed is, uh, is the best way to design it. So th then to, to differentiate between um, carbon taxes of various flavors and cap and trade, um, the, the real difference is that with a carbon tax, you go directly to the, to the price. That is, you, you address the price directly by tacking a tax onto whatever the market price of a fuel is. With cap and trade, you, what you're trying to do is actually raise the price, but you do it indirectly by putting a, a cap on the emission of fossil, uh, of, of greenhouse gases, um, sector by sector, uh, you, you, I mean, you start with an overall national cap, and then you start to divide it up between sectors, then between actors within the sector, and everyone then has um, a mandate to lower their emissions. And the trade part of it is that in order to give flexibility to, particularly to large emitters, uh, large in industries and utilities who might have multiple um, facilities, the, the trade part allows um, uh, entities that are already meeting their emissions um, requirements, their caps, and, and or exceeding them. It allows them to um, sell permits for the emissions that they're entitled to, but that they're not emitting, okay? Then someone who who needs to reduce their emissions has the uh, option to buy those those excess offset. permits. Okay. Mm -hmm. Offset. Well, an offset is a little uh, bit different, but that's different. Okay. Uh, Sorry. But it, it allows. <laughs> yeah, no, no, like I said, I know it, just enough to be dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I'll, I'll I'll get to offset to offsets if we have a little time. I'll try to get to them. But but okay. basically, the, the 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 basic part of it is that it allows an emitter the option to either either reduce their emissions by installing technology or, or somehow changing their operations or to, in essence, buy their way out by, by, by purchasing someone else's spare um, uh, um, emissions permits. So, uh, it, 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 but as I say, the, the purpose of it is to, is to raise the price of fossil fuels. So the way that's usually evaluated is by looking at the market and the and and there are markets established around the world in these emissions permits um, and to see what the prices of them are the problem is that nowhere in the world I have has the price of an emissions permit ever really exceeded twenty dollars per ton wow. Um, wow. Our, our proposal would and 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 people in forty dollars a ton is is the only place where it really even gets material. 
and it really doesn't begin to have an effect until the price gets up to around eighty dollars a ton, right. and um, and then and beyond that. So so far, they haven't been effective in raising the price. Um, and there are all sorts of other issues that that derive that have to do with environmental justice that flow from the ability of emitters to um, uh, to 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 uh, to avoid mitigation by buying a permit. Okay, um, particularly with facilities that also that also have, in addition to greenhouse gas emissions, have um, particulate matter emissions and things that directly affect the health of people in the nearby communities, and uh, and and the the environmental justice community objects particularly to cap and trade because of that. Um, and to be clear, the, most carbon tax proposals and ours definitely doesn't ours does not include any emissions permits or trading or offsets and i i said that offsets are a little different offsets can come from outside the sector um and and offset programs internationally have been um, much abused over the past 15 or so years they 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 were established by the Kyoto Protocol as another means of of uh, of injecting flexibility and economic efficiency um, into the process of trying to bring emissions down. Um, but but some really dubious offsets have been designed that um, really didn't reduce emissions. They really presented profit opportunities to the people who designed them. So uh, that's that's another layer um, that applies to um, cap and trade, w w which would be described as cap and trade with offsets. Okay, um, and uh, the, the the issue, that simply put, to us the issue between our actually fairly simple and transparent um, method of taxing carbon and returning the money to the people and the very complicated and hard to administer um, cap and trade systems is really comes down to effectiveness. Um, and our goal uh, is to ratchet down emissions. I mean, the logic that we follow is that is is the logic that comes out of these IPCC reports, which is that we need to begin to drastically reduce carbon dioxide emissions now. I mean, we really needed to start doing it. We, it would have been great if we'd have started doing it 30 years ago, but we sure. we started really getting into crunch time about five years ago. Um, and and as I say, we we believe, and the IPCC now concurs with us publicly, that crucial to that goal is putting a price on carbon, because if fossil fuels remain cheap, somewhere somebody is going to burn them, and really what we need yeah. to do is keep the, keep them in the ground, keep them in makes the ground. sense. And, it's unfortunate. Yeah, it always comes so, back to following the money, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yep. 
And, yeah, uh, so, I feel like so I could the, talk to you almost all day, but I know we are almost out of time. So I, right. I really hope that this discussion has piqued people's interest to, to make them want to come for the training, or if you happen to listen to this after the training takes place, to please go and visit the website that we've already mentioned before, but we'll say it again citizensclimatelobby.org. You can look for training opportunities. You can opt in to receive their email uh, that is a weekly update. And as was mentioned already, there's an additional forum that you can join to, it sounds like, get discussion going with other members and hopefully make things happen at the local level, even outside of the training. So we really have a great opportunity coming to Northwest Indiana, and we are, are very grateful to you for bringing it. Any last parting thoughts that you'd like to to share before we have to sign off? Well, I I, I look forward to um, doing this work in Northwest Indiana, and uh, I live uh, in, Chicago, in on the south side of Chicago, not too far from the Indiana line. So I'm looking forward to meeting the folks at the Climate Advocate Training, and we're we're hoping that the the outcome of the training will be that we get a chapter established. Um, operating in the first district, the first congressional district in the northwest corner of the state. And I look forward to also um, being involved in um, the work of that chapter once we get it up and going. Uh, We think that there's there's a really good opportunity here. Well, I'm going to just name drop a few few names so that people, if they listen, (laughs) they'll know that they were mentioned (laughs) at the end. I would love to hear some response from uh, the Earth Tones group at Valparaiso University. It's a student environmental group from Earth Charter, Indiana, from South Shore Clean Cities, from Northwest Indiana Green Drinks. And, oh, there's probably a lot more people I'm forgetting right now, but that would be a great start if uh, we could get a few folks from those different groups to listen to this, share it, I think we'll, we'll be bound to have a very, very good turnout and great participation. So thank you, David Holmquist, for being with me today. And this has been another episode of 219 Green Connect. Don't forget you can go and access past show archives and learn about all kinds of other opportunities here in Northwest Indiana. Thank you.